Thank you, Tony and Benedict, for your reading, and to all of our confirmands for your leadership in worship on this very special Confirmation Sunday. These last few weeks, as Pastor Charlene shared, we have had the joy of witnessing God's faithfulness from generation to generation in our worship together. We have been encouraged by our seminarians who show us the ways Jesus is unbound and on the move in our midst, especially through this next generation of church leaders. We have been inspired by the legacy of our spiritual ancestors, by those who have come before us, whose faithfulness shapes and lives in all of those of us who follow in their footsteps. And we have been heartened by our graduating university students, many of whom who are here, who remind us that while the future is unknown, God's presence and provision is not. Confirmants, today you're doing something significant in our midst. You have spent weeks, but really years, exploring faith in the company of generations. Your fellow youth, your youth leaders and mentors, your parents, and this church family. And today, you're responding to God's faithful movement in your life through confirmation. Through sharing your own statement of faith and entering into membership in this community of faith. Today is a significant moment in your life, but it's also a significant moment in our life together. Because in your confirmation, all of us are reminded what it means to say yes to Jesus. Not only once, not only today, but every day. Which is exactly what our scripture text today focuses on. So as you prepare to say yes today, let's turn to scripture together and let's pray. Living God, Open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. In our hearing, may we truly understand. In our understanding, believe. In our believing, follow in your way. Through the power of Christ our Lord, amen. What do we do now? As a student, I was always a little torn around this time of year. Maybe you are too, confirmants. You push to get to the end of the school year. You write those final papers, finish those final pro projects, cram for exams. You go through the eight weeks of confirmation that you have. You gather with teachers and mentors to discuss big questions, to explore, to ponder. You talk with your family about what you're thinking and you hear what they're thinking in response to your questions. And you write it all up in a brief statement of faith that tries to capture all of those thoughts and wonderings and hopes and hurts and intentions in this particular moment of time. And then you get to this long anticipated moment and wonder, what do we do now? What do we do after the finals are turned in and the school year ends? What do we do after the statement of faith is given, after we take the family picture at the front of the sanctuary, after we eat our fill of Dave's chocolate fountain? What do we do next? We find the disciples at a similar point, asking a similar question. 
our scripture picks up after these things. The disciples have gone through their own confirmation process. Yours was eight weeks, theirs was three years. Make sure to thank Dave after the worship service. They journey with Jesus for three years, hearing him teach, watching him heal, joining him for meals with all the wrong people in all the wrong places. They traveled with him through the ecstasies and the horrors of Holy Week. They'd seen him hailed as the King and Messiah only to watch him then humiliated and hung on a cross. Then equally shocking, they'd seen him resurrected, alive. He'd greeted them twice and given them the Holy Spirit. They had seen and believed. And then what? We don't know how much time has passed between Jesus' resurrection and our story today. We're not told. Maybe it's a few days, maybe it's much longer, but whatever amount of time it is, it is enough for the disciples to start wondering, what do we do now? The resurrected Jesus is on the loose, he's at work in the world, the spirit is given, God is, is doing things. Things seem to be covered. What do they do next? The disciples go back to what they know. They go back home to Galilee, they go back to fishing. They're waiting on God's next move. Maybe you can relate, confirmants. You've witnessed Jesus' healing power in others, so when sickness and pain emerge in your life and in your relationships, you find yourself waiting on God's next move. You believe in this peace that we receive through Jesus and which is at work in the world through us, and yet you open up your news app, and you see another mass shooting. You're waiting on God's next move. You've seen and believed Christ's resurrection power, so as we approach this nearly one million mark of lives lost to COVID, you find yourself again waiting on God's next move. You've proclaimed Christ's lordship over all things. So you look at the crisis facing our climate and you find yourself waiting on God's next move. We've seen and believed, and now we're waiting on God's next move. In our text today, Jesus shows up one last time to clarify for the disciples, God's next move is to get them moving. Jesus finds the disciples in their boat after a disappointing night of fishing. They have caught nothing. So Jesus, unrecognized by these closest friends and disciples of his, offers some guidance. Cast your net on the other side. No sooner do they do than they have more fish than they could possibly haul in. Their nets are nearly bursting. It is amazing. It's miraculous. And one of the disciples instantly recognizing this, recognizes the source of this kind of abundance, Jesus. Jesus, who turned water into wine, enough to keep a party going, who fed thousands with a few fish and a handful of loaves. It was him on the beach. Of course it was him. Miraculous abundance is kind of Jesus's calling card. 
Now, the disciple Peter is one of those in the boat, and he isn't always the first to understand or to comprehend, but he's often the first to act. Passionate, impulsive Peter. Before the group has a chance to even haul in their load of fish or to put into the nearby beach on which Jesus is greeting them, Peter is swimming to the shore. Jesus greets him and the other disciples with a campfire breakfast, and he invites them to bring some of what they've just caught to the table, which is a lot, 153 large fish, and he serves them some breakfast. Come and have breakfast with me. This has always been one of my very favorite lines in scripture. There's something about the resurrected Jesus bent over a campfire, preparing a meal for the luckless disciples that's so human, that's so tender, that's so Jesus. But what is going on here? The resurrected Jesus shows up randomly on the beach to just, you know, have breakfast with his disciples. A quick check-in to say, hey, to give some fishing advice. This is the last time Jesus appears to his disciples in the Gospel of John. And most folks who study the Bible agree that this story was actually later added on, probably to help address some big questions that Jesus' followers were having. So why? Jesus' side conversation at the end of our text today with Peter after breakfast, hints that Jesus is offering more than just fishing tips and breakfast. He's equipping these beloved disciples for God's next move, them. Maybe Jesus sees Peter's attitude shift over the course of the meal. Peter, dear, dear Peter. He was never one to be able to hide his emotions or feelings. It was Peter, after all, who leaped out of the boat, not just today, but once before, when he met Jesus walking on the water on that same sea. It was Peter who, at their last meal together, vowed to follow Jesus even to death. Peter's always wearing his heart on his sleeve. So maybe Jesus notices when Peter's initial joy on greeting him on the beach turns quiet and he joins the others around the campfire for breakfast. Maybe he knows that the smell of the campfire brings back painful memories for Peter. Memories of that terrible night when they arrested Jesus. When he who'd vowed to die right alongside Jesus denied even being his follower. Maybe Jesus sees Peter and his regret, and his pain, and his self-doubt, and his comparison. So he asks Peter a question, the question, the one that everything else hinges on. Peter, do you love me? You have been engaging with a lot of questions these last eight weeks in confirmation. And you will be asked a few questions even today as we welcome you into the church. But they're all really variations of this one important question by Jesus. Do you love me? Chances are there are some questions, lots of questions actually, that you don't have answers to. You may not be able to answer the question of the problem of pain 
or how one God can be three persons, or exactly how Jesus's death and resurrection overcomes sin and death for all. But each of you are here today because you can join with Peter in answering Jesus's one all-important question, do you love me? Maybe like Peter, you're entering into this space today, rehearsing where you've fallen short in your discipleship, where you're slow to understand or to recognize, where you struggle to find the right words, where you act recklessly, or maybe you don't act at all. But Jesus' question to you, to all of us today, is simple. It's the question he'll ask you over and over and over again because it's the only question that really matters. And if you can answer that question, even with hesitation, even without knowing if it's the right kind of love or the right amount of love, well then Jesus has a simple but profound response for you each. Get moving. Jesus tells Peter, you love me? Well then go love and care for my sheep. You've watched me do it for years, Peter. I've guided and fed you even today. I've laid down my life for you and the flock like a good shepherd. Now you're going to take up where I left off. So, get moving. Peter and the other disciples are wondering that morning, what do we do now? What's God's next move? And Jesus shows up on the beach in their midst to answer their questions with two questions of his own. Do you love me? And what can you bring to the table? Here in this last interaction with his disciples, Jesus once again guides them, equips them, feeds them, but he also commissions them. Jesus tells the disciples, bring what you have to the table, and it's more than just fish. Maybe like the disciple Peter, you're bringing pain or self-doubt, questions or uncertainty, that's okay. But Jesus invites you to bring your love and to bring your unique gifts to the table because God's next move is through you. Conferments today, you are going to be asked these two simple but all-important questions uh, that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? And what can you bring to the table? Because these are the only questions that really matter. All your, and your responses will change your world and it will change our world. Peter and the disciples don't know all that they're saying yes to that day. They'll certainly have more questions and challenges ahead of them. Following Jesus will take them to places that are unfamiliar, that are uncomfortable, places that they may not have gone otherwise. But they can respond that day and every day because of one simple reason. Jesus first said yes to them. They've been guided They've been fed, equipped, and commissioned by Jesus. And so have you, Confirmans. So have you, First Press Berkeley. 
Conformance today, you are modeling for all of us what it looks like to follow Jesus, to respond to his question, do you love me? And to bring what you have to the table. Because God's next move in this world, in this church, is through you. So come, have breakfast with us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you meet us and you ask us the all-important questions. Not that we answer out of our own wisdom or out of our own abundance, but from what you have given us, what you have shown us through your own love. God, we thank you for these confirmants, for the ways that you have met them, for the ways that they have sat with these questions and that they today are saying yes to you. May we, their sisters and brothers and siblings in Christ, see their actions and be encouraged and inspired again to say yes to your questions and invitation to us. That through us, you may move and work and do your next thing in this church, in this community, in this world. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, today we do indeed have the joy and privilege of welcoming um, some of our confirmants into our life together. And as a part of that process, we have the joy of welcoming into the church family um, one of our confirmants, Aaron Kuhn, through the promise of baptism. So I want to invite Aaron and his family to come forward.